0: Welcome everyone. I'm your host Wesley and today we have my co-host Bree. Hey! And my special friend Jay.
1: How you doing everyone?
0: Welcome Jay. Welcome. So glad to have you here. And so Jay we just want to listen to your story on what it means to be a Christian of color. So Bree you want to start this off for us?
2: Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost we'd just love to tell us if you can give a little summary of, uh, yeah, a little bit about your faith background. Um, you know, did you grow up in the church? Did you not? Uh, what was that like? Uh, yeah, kind of just a brief overview for us.
1: Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, Baltimore. Uh, my home church is uh, New Psalmist Baptist Church with uh, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas. Uh, I was raised in the church as a kid, you know, I was on the youth choir when I was younger, uh, usher. Um, typical, you know, black child, you know, basically, uh, growing up in the church, you know, used to three hour sermons and, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, then going back for the evening service, communion, the whole nine yards, you know, so, um, I grew up there, but as you know, Baltimore is a rough place. You know, I kind of got off the path a little bit when I was younger, you know, I, I always, you know, say the prodigal son was my favorite uh, parable in the Bible. I kind of, you know, went off the path, you know, I left home when I was 17, um, made my own, basically made my own way. And, um, but I always kept that a part of my upbringing, you know, I'd always, you know, still, you know, seek the Lord out and that, you know, always just seeking, seeking truth, you know, because, you know, growing up in a Baptist household, but I went to Catholic school, you know, um, in college i br- briefly studied islam for a while then i wanted to you know and i just branched out i even you know i was a business major but uh philosophy was my mind and i remember i take uh religious studies courses and i was just always fascinated by you know how as a human being how can we connect with god to know more about the story and so you know i studied hinduism i started started studying buddhism um you know even the ancient comedic uh, Egyptian spiritual system. So I'd study all these um, different paths, you know, just trying to understand where people were coming from, you know. And you know that again, you know, I, I never knew it was for me. It was like a, I won't say a side project, but it wasn't. If you'd have told, I'm gonna put it like, let me put it like this: If you would have told me 20 years ago I'd be a missionary or a minister, I wouldn't have believed you. It wasn't on my path. I was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna honor God. I'm gonna you know, walk his paths, but I'm a businessman. That's, that's what I studied. That's what I love. That was my passion. That was what I thought was my calling, you know, but still Mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, respect the creator of the universe, my, my benefactor, you know, there's so many times, you know, I'd pray for things and and literally I have so many miracles I can testify to that. I know it was nothing but God that got me out of these situations. And then uh, shortly after my 30th birthday, he called me into ministry and, I gave up my business and I've been traveling the world ever since spreading the gospel. Mhm. And that's actually how we met. We met in
0: Southside Chicago when you were <laughs> there yeah. speaking and I was there for a music festival.
1: That's right. In Englewood, in Englewood. Yeah. <laughs> the, Englewood. the roughest part of South the most infamous part of Southside Chicago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
2: wow. That's so that's so cool. And so then I mean, my next question from that is, like, can you tell us a little bit more about, like, what exactly happened that you, like, felt called to go into ministry, right? Because it sounded like you had a business going, like, life was happening, and mm. then something big happened where you were like, mm-mm, like, I'm, I'm called to to be a missionary.
1: Well, I mean, it was a combination of things. It was like, you know, I had a, you know, be more specific, I had a couple. Um, excuse me, a few, you know, my main company was a personal training company, you know, I branched off, you know, I served a lot of apartment communities in the DC, Maryland, Virginia uh, area, Um, had trainers and group exercise instructors under me, then, you know, I branched off me and my business partner, we started a car wash, you know, uh, basically a mobile detailing, Um, you know, I partnered with someone else and opened up a cleaning company. So, It was, you know, just a little bit of small ventures. And right before I got into uh, ministry, I had actually opened up a graphic design um, and printing company. Uh, One of my uh, classmates in in college, she was a very, she was an amazing graphic designer. And, uh, but due to her life circumstances, she couldn't work at a corporate job. And, you know, she had to work from home. She had started a family. And, you know, I had a great connect on my printing needs for my business. Like I was getting, like, basically I could get, Uh, Flyers printed for basically half the price of Vista print and still make a profit like quality because I because of the relationship I had with the printing company, but um, I didn't I can't design so I found someone who knew how to design, you know, we'd market market to other small businesses They we do the design and the printing and they would have everything all in-house and I just take a small stipend Off top, you know, I basically take 20% you know and give 80% Mm. back to my designer uh for that you know and actually i made most of them we made most of the money from our printing you know so if vista print would charge them 350 400 i could get it for 150 but i would only charge them like 200 making a small little stipend on top because for me it was just an additional stream of income it's like i have to i normally go there once or twice a week to pick up my orders anyway why not you know add other orders in there and things like that so it was it was um you know I was a very busy man, and but at the end of the day, I wasn't happy like I had the money, but I kept feeling like there was something missing in my life and its I know it sounds cliche, but money can't buy you happiness and it was like the more I made it it just didn't it wasn't fulfilling and then you know I just you know I just needed a change, and you know I felt like the Lord you know throughout all this he was always kind of talking to me and leading me down this path, you know and you know, it was just, you know, I'd pick up my Bible and just start reading things and seeing things, you know, like, you know, about the world and coming to pass and things like that. And it's like, wow, I, re- I really have a gift with this. And, you know, I re- t- took a took a step of leap of faith and, you know, just moved to New York with basically a suitcase in my car and, <laughs> you know, and the rest is history, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah jay um didn't you i remember you telling me this story in
0: Chicago, but didn't you also mention of something like an eclipse or of the moon that kind of just spoke to
1: you yeah, the blood moons and things like that. It ties yeah. into the prophecy of like uh joel two thirty one and so much weird stuff started happening in my life i I can tell you the exact day of that first blood month it was April fifteenth two thousand fourteen. It was, it's called a bib, the bib, biblical Tetrad. My birthday was April 6th, about nine days ahead of time, you know, so it was the 14th or 15th and they only happen every couple hundred of years, like the blood moon when they fall on the Jewish high holidays. And um, so that's like four consecutive ones. And I would just start, you know, like, wow, like just start having this like feeling like, you know, I've always had like a gift of prophecy. Like I would just know things I wouldn't, know how, that was like my spiritual gift. Again, I didn't really think that, well, I, almost I didn't think that much of it. Like when I was a child, I didn't really know how to process it. Like sometimes it would scare my family and friends. Like, how did you know that? Like, I, I don't know. It just came to me, you know, or I would just see things and they, they would come to pass before what happened. And, and that's when I started realizing like, wow, you know, I think the Lord, the Lord is talking to me you know, right now. And it was just, I just couldn't shake that feeling until I went out and just started doing his work, you know? And it was, you know, like, um, you know, that's, you know, those blood moons, they tie into what they call, the, you know, uh, biblical prophecy of the last days and stuff like that. And you see a lot of those prophecies, you know, coming to pass. And so, you know, um, I felt like it was the Lord just telling me, go out and get the people ready, you know? Wow.
2: Wow. That's so interesting, because then, I mean, my next question, because I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, to this might not know, like, what's it like to be a missionary? Tell us.
0: Or no specifically, like, a Nazarite missionary.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And no two days are the same. Man. And, you know, my, my <laughs> hair is wrapped right now, but, you know, I'm a Nazarite. I haven't, you know, cut my hair in, what, six years now since I've been on the mission, um, since uh, September 5th, 2014. But uh, as you know, as a Nazarite, we let our hair grow wild and free. Don't drink any alcohol. Uh, don't go uh, near dead bodies and fully commit our life to serving God. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it, it, my mission, I, I will say, kind of has changed with the cities that I've been in sometimes, you know, it's always ministry or excuse me, it's always serving in some capacity. Like in some cities, you know, I might do more street ministry where day in and day out, I'm in just a different neighborhood um, each day spreading the word. You know, sometimes I'm praying for for uh, people or people who are trying to do like I'm doing, especially in Chicago, Uh, Chicago and uh, of course, Baltimore. I had to do a lot of grief counseling people who, you know, um, you know, lost family members or loved ones. Um, and so I do a lot of grief counseling there, um, in, uh, Mississippi, you know, when I was there, there was a place called the Mana house, you know, shout out to miss Joanne in Yazoo city. Um, it's like the only soup kitchen, uh, in a small town. Yazoo is a beautiful place of 12, 12,000 people. Everyone knows everybody there. And, wow. um, you know, they would, uh, let me run the devotion, uh, four days out the week where uh, basically, um, actually, it's it's three churches, they came together. Uh, One was a Baptist church, one was a Methodist, and I want to say another one was an Apostolic. They all pulled their money and opened up the manor house, you know, so it's three churches working together, funding this place. And um, so they'd feed the community uh, every day. I'd um, help help, help them uh, serve the food uh, do a uh, 30 minute devotion, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the day, uh, devotion, um, stay around afterwards, uh, for ministry, help clean up things like that. So, um, that was, you know, that there, so it's no, no two days are the same. It's, you know, just serving God and, and the best, best way I know how.
2: Mm. And, um, like in your work, what is what is your community look like? Like, do you serve on a team? Cause you're you saying like um you move a lot, right? You've been in you said ten cities?
1: Ten and cities like, and six years. Yeah. So, um well yeah, so this September it'll it'll be six years. Um so yeah. I'll start off in New York, Tampa, Baltimore, DC. Uh oh, where do I go for DC? Uh Austin, Houston, New Orleans, Chicago, and San Diego, and uh, not nah, it's uh, you know, I, I, it's not like like um, I was funded by a church or anything uh, going out. It's just you know I typically network with people um when when I go to, go to the cities and meet with pe uh, meet with different leaders or pastors or in the city, and you know sometimes you know they might invite me to teach a Bible study or do a, do a service um or help out with a march i remember in in chicago pastor flager at saint sabina we did a couple marches together um over there so it's you know typically networking with the people in that community that i'm that i'm in Mm. wow
2: so you have a lot of friends in a lot of
1: places yeah 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 actually it it gets kind of hard keeping keeping up with people sometimes because it's like, you know, I got, I just got off the phone with uh, a good pastor friend of mine in uh, Mississippi. We hadn't talked in probably close to a year, but you know, it's uh, just one of those things like, wow, you know, you catch up with people and you know, it feels like just yesterday you just talked with them. Um, But yeah, you know, it's, you do make friends all, all over and you know, WhatsApp is a, great app I've used because especially when I was in New Orleans I'd meet people from all over the world um you know and you know sometimes they, if they don't have a U.S. number or whatnot we'd still stay in contact uh you know um whether they're in France South America England you know just just people from all over and it's it has honestly been the best experience of my life like I really can't see living any other way now i remember like halfway through my journey i won't even say halfway because i probably think like gone in the year too because i've never done anything like this like it was not again i never planned on doing this i know like um after like my fourth stop like man i'm kind of just tired of moving going place to place like wow as soon as i get roots it's like go here i'm like okay you know and but now it's the complete opposite like if i'm in a place too long it's like, okay, I'm ready to go. You know, it's like I'm ready to, you know, no, see, to see, see something else now, you know. And so uh, no matter how much I love the city, like, you know, I've had, you know, so many great experiences and just great times in these, in these cities. You know, places I, I never really been to, New Orleans, Chicago, you know, those are probably the two biggest standouts for me. You know, from from this journey, like wow, New Orleans—that's like a a magical city for me. I mean, I love live music. I can spend all day on Frenchman Street and listen to the music, interact with the people. They have such a great spirit about them. There, Chicago, like, and, and Wesley will tell you—he even came out with me. You know, the people there. You know, if you're not. Doing anything crazy? You're not, you know. I I think Chicago gets a bad rap. People are so friendly there. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we had some great conversations, just going through the neighborhoods, talking to people and things like that. And uh, yeah, you know, I love Chicago. Three months out the year, I love Chicago. June through September, (laughs) Uh, it is too cold. Man, they broke me in February. I felt like I was in like a Game of Thrones episode. You know, like north of the wall, when that winter hit, like it's, yeah. it's like negative <laughs> negative fifty. So, you know, but it's just so many amazing stories, and you know, all these different places. I can't, I can't even fathom just being stuck anywhere. Like, you know, you hit hit it on the head when you like you have a nomadic lifestyle. Yeah, I fully embrace that. I love just going place to place. It's just when you detach yourself from material things and, um. You know, just being mobile, being able to see so much of the world is it's a great experience.
2: Yeah. I I feel like because everybody kind of has like different, um, like whether like uh something of your life has caused you to like uh learn something or see something about God, like in a new way. So I'm wondering, like, in this, we'll keep saying like quote unquote nomadic lifestyle, like, how do you think you get to experience God in a new way?
1: Uh, just relying completely on him. Like there have been times where, you know, I literally have had nothing and I'll go out and I do his work and something would come, you know, my way. Like I was telling this story uh, recently to someone like um, I do a lot of homeless ministry. That's probably one of the main things. And, you know, and and as a Nazarite and you know, like I, you know, I, I really walk by faith. So, like, I remember one time I in New Orleans. I think I had like fifteen, twenty dollars in my pocket, and I met so many people that day who were like, "Oh, can I get a couple of dollars for some food or things like, like that?" I gave it all away and just trusting God. Like, okay, God's gonna provide for me. And fast forward to about nine o'clock that night, I'm like, okay, nothing's coming because I mean, as a, I don't ask anybody for donations. Like, I don't do God's work for ministry. Like, I, I mean, I know it might be a separate topic, for, excuse me, for, for pay. Like, I don't believe in getting absor- exorbitant amounts of money for, you know, preaching the word of God. It's something that should be freely given, in my opinion. However, if someone donates, you know, or, you know, cause sometimes people would, would see me preaching. Oh, man, I saw what you did with those kids. You know, Let me bless your ministry. Here go five. Here go ten or something like that. And I would just go off of that. And then i pay for my housing, whatever I would need, food you know, ba- the basic necessities, whatever I need and whatever's left, you know, uh, everything else is going to the pockets of those less fortunate. So, uh, you know, back back to the story in New Orleans, like I gave away all my money one day. And I remember praying on the bus. I still had my bus pass. In New Orleans, the bus pass is $3 it last you all day, you know, $24 out of 24 hours. And so I, I pray, I'm like, Lord, you know, I've been out ministering all day, doing your work, Serving, serving your people. Please make a way for me to have a roof over my head tonight. So I'm on the last bus to Canal Street. I actually fell asleep on the bus. That's how long I was on the bus. And the driver woke me up. He yells in the back, "Hey, bro, you gotta get off this. This the last stop, Canal Street." I'm like, "All right, all right, don't so wake up this wipe my eyes." You know, I'm getting my stuff. You know, and at my feet is a twenty-dollar bill. At my, in between my feet, there's a twenty-dollar bill. There's no one else on the bus. Just me and the bus driver. There's a $20 bill right there in between my feet. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm like, wow, let me see if I, if I can get something. Because typically I'll stay in hostels because they're cheaper. You know, with the Airbnb that I say that um, in Chicago is like very, very affordable um, doing this. So the hostel that I need, this, that I normally stay at right downtown, two blocks from uh, where the last bus was, they were running a special that night for $15. You know, so I heard him booked, you know, I got like the last room there and things like that. And it was like, wow, I know that was nothing but nothing but God. You know, another time, you know, I remember I was in DC ministering and I think some church was like organized some some like uh they had like this breakfast they invited the community to someone told me about it and they're like, Oh, it ends at nine forty-five. So I get there at nine thirty. And or excuse me, nine thirty-five. Like all right, ten minutes at a time. And then when I get there, they're like, um, "Oh no, sorry, it, it, start, it stopped at nine 30. But I still, and I'm like, "Yo, it's still full. There's still things like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't let you in." It's over. And I'm, I'm not gonna make a scene. I'm like, okay, you're supposed to be a church, but I walk because again, you know, I tried to follow. Like especially when I first started, I would literally walk everywhere I need to go instead of taking a bus or Uber or anything. If I had, if I was on the southwest. You know, and I didn't get to Northwest, I'd walk two hours to get there, you know, because I I would always meet people along the way there, you know, because it's more about the journeys and the destination. And um, so anyway, I'm leaving there and I'm like, man, I'm like, I am like, I just walked all this way. I'm tired. I'm hungry. And again, I, this is like my second year in ministry. Actually, yeah, it was about a year and a half. And, you know, I was just having a negative moment, you know, like, oh, man, I only feel like doing this today. No sooner did I say that, I hear a car door slam. I'm, I'm like two or three blocks away from the place I just left. This guy gets out of his car, walks over to me and says, excuse me, brother. The Lord just told me to give you this. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> it, it was a plate of like the most amazing jerk chicken ever um, and a bottle of water. And, you know, it was like, wow. I just started laughing. Of course, I said, thank you, but I knew that was nothing but God. It was like my favorite fruit, the sweetest like corn with cob, jerk chicken and uh, roasted potatoes. And I was like, wow, look at God.
2: Wow. That's that's incredible. Like just like so many little moments where like God's like, yeah, I'm a provider. Like reminds you. And then also in like bigger moments too. But he just like always shows out. That's awesome. Um, You mentioned earlier something about organizing marches with different leaders in your journey. I'm wondering um, if I'm interpreting that correctly, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, we're in a really interesting time uh, socially right now, right? Um, In the memorial, it feels like, you know, uh, black and brown people have been uh, dying at higher rates for a long time. This is not new, but the way that the public is talking about it, feels new and that how many people are talking about it. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are, um, especially as a Christian, like what the role of the church is right now, what are your thoughts on what you see is happening?
1: Yeah. Um, the role of the church, I mean, right now is to maintain and keep giving people peace, like, you know, and, you know, giving people comfort and also um, helping to be more involved in the community. You know, like coming together as one voice. You know, um, let you know letting people know that we're, we're tired of this. You know, it's four hundred plus years, and this is still happening. This is supposed to be the greatest country. You know, mm. and you know, I think it's you know instead of all these different bands of people, people just need to come together as one. A fist is uh, stronger than five fingers, and so I think mm. that's where these churches need to. Put a put down instead of everyone wants to, you know, get the spotlight. Why don't this pastor get with this pastor? This pastor get with this pastor. You gotta. Your congregation has two thousand. That congregation has three thousand. That congregation has five thousand. All y'all get together. Take take turns. You know, leading the people. Show up. You know, and um you know, we need to demand change because, and hold people accountable. This is, I mean, for me, it's just completely unacceptable Mm -hmm. growing up in in Baltimore, where, you know, it happens on a daily basis, you know.
2: All right. So um, my next question, Wesley tells me, And also from what you've been saying, you are super studious. Like you just got a mind that thinks about a lot of things really deeply. Um, And I'm also a theology nerd. So I heard you've been studying like all these different religions, right? Because you're a philosophy minor. And I heard you're reading the Apocrypha. Is that correct right now?
1: Correct. I don't even
2: know what that means. Wesley told me. So can you tell me what that means and why you're reading it?
1: Well, a lot of the, the Apocryphas, a lot of the books that were originally in the Bible that they took out. You know, like if you get the original sixteen eleven King James Version, it has a lot more books than what's in there right now. And so and even throughout history, you know, there there was a great quote. Um, I forget the man who said it, but it was like, you know, if the if the if they kept everything that's in the Bible as it was originally, it'd be fifty pounds and you could, you wouldn't even be able to carry it, like, you know, so A lot of these books have been taken out and edited, you know, um, throughout the centuries are still there. You know, a lot of them are hard to find. Um, Like, especially like, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls Um, or the Nod comedy collection? Um, You know, basically, you know, the Vatican had burnt them hundreds of years ago, but they found the stash of them in these these caves outside of Israel in uh, 1947, I believe the date was. And we were able to get some of them translated and, rele- and released and before the vatican you know bought the rest of them and psh, you can't even get them anymore but um you know I-, I tell you know they have a vault a vault at the vatican with all these ancient manuscripts things like that and uh um, technically you know I-, I always put this distinction out there everything you need to know for salvation is in the bible you know you that's all all you need you follow those commandments you live a righteous life you know keep god first you know you're in you know basically that you know everything you need for salvation is there however if you want the truth and if you really want to study more and to uh understand it better then that's where you have to get some of those other books that, that have been taken out like uh you know i was telling uh wesley i'm, I'm currently studying the book of jasher you know and actually i, I sent you the quote last night from the book uh mm-hmm. You know, they I think it's jo- in the book of Joshua, cha- uh, chapter 10, verse 13, that it, ac- mm-hmm. it actually quotes from the book of Jasher. So, yeah. um, you know, and also another my favorite book that they've t- they took that took out is the book of Enoch. Have you heard of that one before, Brie? The book of Jude yeah. in the Bible
0: also directly quotes on the book of Enoch, too, which is crazy.
2: What? Okay, so tell us about that. Tell us about the
1: Book of yep. Enoch. <laughs> yeah, it was actually written. Uh, the Book of Enoch. You know, it talks about Enoch's journey. You you briefly hear about him in Genesis. He was a righteous man, and God uh, whisked him away. Um, but you know, it tells you more about his story. It tells you more about the Nephilim uh, from Genesis chapter six verse four. When the angel, the watchers, they were they were angels that God put in charge of humanity. They rebelled against God and they slept with the women of earth, and they created the Nephilim, which were giants. Um, it talks about, it goes more to depth that. Um, and then, you know, why God flooded the earth to get rid of that offspring, because they were killing us, and then just all the wickedness that was going on um, at that time, you know, because, you know, especially I think it'll talk about an angel called Azazel. Um, he's the one who taught uh, mankind, like witchcraft and you know, war making and stuff like that. Um so it was just it was just chaos going here going on down here, and you know, of course you know god you know angel or excuse me demons are nothing more than angels that have fallen or rebelled against god, and so that's where you learn more about their story and things like that and um it has a lot of end time prophecies it ties into revelations and things like that so um it's uh it's a it's a great book it's one of my favorite books, you know, so if you're, if you're a theology nerd, you will love the book of Enoch. And the thing is, a lot of pastors won't touch these books. They won't talk about them in church. I've had great discussion and dialogues with a lot of pastors. And my conclusion is, you know, some of them, they hear about them. But, you know, like I used this example yesterday uh, with Wesley. Like, is I liken it to medical school. You go to a doctor, like I do a lot of natural healing. Like, you know, if I get sick, first place I'm going is Whole Foods or Sprout. Oh, over here in San Diego, they have Sprouts. It's like a <laughs> really good organic store. You know, I'm going to get some fresh mint, some thyme, uh, apple cider vinegar, you know, echinacea. And I make my own herbal teas, you know, raw manuka honey, things like that. Knocks out almost anything I've ever had, you know, in a couple days, oh. you know, uh, raw garlic, these natural herbs and plants that heal diseases. A doctor is not going to tell you this. You know, guess what a doctor is going to do? He's going to write you a prescription because that's what he's been taught by the phar- by the the people who put him through med school. You know, these uh, pharmaceutical companies, they create this stuff and they 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 put out their text. And that's what, you know, a lot of these ministers, you know, you get ordained, you have to be part of this organization. And so, okay, if I'm a Baptist minister, I have to abide by this Baptist doctrine if I'm a Catholic person I'm asked to abide by this Catholic doctrine. So what the big boss man, the Archbishop the Pope says is what, I, what I'm gonna teach on and things like that. now some, you will get some who will um, talk about it. Actually I had a, a, a pastor in Mississippi, you know, he had me do a, a, a Bible study on the books outside of the Bible one time. It was really engaging, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he took a chance with that. Like, wow, he heard that I think Couple of through through word of mouth, mutual acquaintances. I think a couple of his uh uh congregation had told them about me. Like, oh man, this guy knows about this and that, and you know, he thought it'd be a great idea to expose you know the rest of the congregation to that, you know. And so, but you know, I do understand from their position, it do it does open up a can of worms because, okay, well, if y'all knew this, why why are you not talking about this or why are you not teaching on it, you know, things like that. And so, um, I will That it wasn't, yeah. So, from at least from
0: my understanding of the Apocrypha, it I'm pretty sure it literally just translates into extraneous. And the Catholic Church they used to view it as part of the Bible 1611, the King James Version. But even then, when they removed it, it was still like adding a space bar in between. And at least with when the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church split, the Protestants. They came up with a mantra called Sola Scriptura, which is just strictly the Bible and only the Bible as the inerrant word of God. And I think it's because of that, that a lot of mainstream Protestant churches tend to ignore the Apocrypha. But at the very same time, the Apocrypha is a bunch of historical documents found across different places that pretty much say the same things similar to the Bible as well. And I think you were saying that the councils that decided like what books should belong in the Bible and which books doesn't
1: felt
0: extraneous.
1: Well, I mean, like, yeah, when you go back to it and, you know, I think the council I brought up was the Council of Nicaea. You know, that's one of the main ones where they meet a lot with uh, the Emperor Constantine. You know, and basically they, you know, put that, you know, gathered up all the religious minds, all the Bibles, and at the time, or, you know, and say, okay, we're going to just put, this is what's going to go in, and this is what's going to go out, you know, and so, you know, basically, we have to, tr- you know, we're putting our faith and trust, these men are making the right decision and putting this in there, you know, and as we know, we are human, and they're all still agendas, so, you know, sometimes they may not They may not have put something in there purposely or they may not have put it in there accidentally. You know, I can't, you know, I don't know, personally know these people that died hundreds, thousands of years or thousands of years ago. You know, I can't ju- judge them whether it was done accidentally or purposefully. Uh, and, you know, I've read a lot of books outside of that who give different accounts. You know, that's where, you know, it, you have to be a student, you know, don't just read one book and take it, you know, oh, this is 100% truth. No, I'm going to read five to 10 sources about this one subject, and then I'm going to make an educated decision and pray over it, you know, like, you know, and ask God to guide me because he knows all, you know.
0: Yeah, so I see the route that you're taking. Rather than seeing the Bible as a collection, you're taking each as an individual source alongside the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the other books the apocrypha as just individual sources and then piecing together like what does that say about Jesus here and what does that say about Jesus here oh it they say the same thing and that's what you're kind of doing right just pu- putting the pieces apart individually and
1: seeing the whole image the whole truth in a way i guess you could look at it like that yes you know like i you could say there you know there's a puzzle that's been shattered, you know. I'm trying to put those pieces back together, you know, and basically like that. But the main piece of the puzzle, the Bible, is already intact, you know. But these other pieces that aren't there, that were part of the original, you know, I'm just trying to put those in there to see if I can get some kind of extra information that um isn't there, and um you know that um that you know that was taken out, like you know the book of Enoch. You know is, you know once you read that, you know I feel like every Christian should read that. The Gospel of Thomas or the Book of Thomas, oh, excuse me, the got yeah the Gospel. They do have the Book of Thomas and the Gospel of Thomas. Um, but the Gospel of Thomas, the Apostle. Wow, I mean I, I don't see that's my favorite gospel. You know like other oh, that. Yeah, wasn't the gospel,
0: at least when I took a Bible class at Point Loma Nazarene University, I think that I was taught that the gospel of Thomas was a Gnostic gospel, where they kind of viewed a separation of the physical and spiritual, and that the physical was deemed entirely evil, and spiritual is good. Like, it got to the point where even Jesus was fully spiritual, not human, to the point where he would not leave footprints on the ground is what I'm heard, what I'm told from like my Bible class.
1: Well, I mean, you, you, you hear about miracles and, you know, in in the regular Bible where how many humans, you know, can walk on water, you know, things like that. So, you know, some, some stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think if uh, I do have to reread that to see um, if he walked and didn't leave footprints. I might, you know, I might. I don't. And yeah, I, I'm off just off top my head recall that, that verse
0: because I haven't read it either.
1: <laughs> but no, I mean, if you do read it, I mean, it's it's mind blowing. Like wow, the words of wisdom, you know, from Jesus in there. I mean, again, it lines up, you know, with the Bible. But like, there are so many quotes in there, like that. It's it's really. It's I just highly recommend you to read it. They they have they actually have the Gnostic Bible. You can get it. Uh, I used to carry it with me. That thing was heavy. It's literally like three times the size of a regular Bible. Oh, damn. Um, but uh, I just downloaded it on my uh, Kindle. So they they have one that has the Nah comedy collection in there. Mm-hmm. And so you, you see so much more, um, you know, some of the events from the Bible are expounded on a lot more and, you do have to remember the Gnostics were wiped out by the Catholic church. They were exterminated. They were brutally killed and murdered, you know, um, and suppressed. So if your teachers, again, that raises red flags for me. So if the people were putting this out, if say, why would you murder people to suppress something, you know, so that where there's smoke, there's fire. So that's why, you know, I read those things and, you know, make a educated, you know, decision or you know um you know see if it you know i I like how bruce lee bruce lee said it you know absorb what is useful disregard what is useless you know so if there's something in there that seems a little off disregard but if there's something that can help me in my spiritual journey then i'm going to absorb and uh move forward with it
2: hmm that's so interesting. I think I, pro- I probably also come from a background like Wesley where like I've heard of the Gnostic Gospels, right? And yeah, it's been like, those are pretty not great to read. So <laughs> that's interesting that you're like, they're interesting, you're like, yeah, let's go for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of doing like a personal study right now where I'm trying to look into, yeah, the history of the canonization of scripture. Um, yeah, just to see the history of like how the Bible and the 66 books that are in the traditional Bible like how that came to happen. So interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay. a little
2: bit of a a little bit of a pivot, if you'll walk with me here. Um, Wesley and I have also been talking about like what what it means to be created in the image of God, to be image bearers of God. Um, and the way we see that in scripture. And so yeah, just wondering to Jay personally, like as you study the scriptures, like what what do you find it means to be made in the image of God and to be an image bearer?
1: Well, it means, you know, being a great representative of God, you know, and it's like, you know, you really have to really watch over your image and what you do, what you say, you know, because, you know, especially if you're in ministry, I find myself walking a lot tighter rope since I've picked up this, you know, cross and taken this journey because it's like, you know okay if you're there i mean i don't even have to tell you you I mean turn on the news every now and then you're hearing this minister did this this pastor did that like no nah, when you're walking god's path you have to walk a fine line because there you don't know how many people that i talked to or reach out to that have been like oh i've been turned off from the church because uh you know the pastor had an affair with my wife or the pastor did this or the pastor did that or oh he was a crook he took all the money and ran you know it was it's bad and like people um get turned off from that and when we're supposed to be made you know when we are all it's not just ministers but we're all made in god's image and you know when you know that and you're like wow the creator of the universe made me in his image he made you in his image like wow like that's powerful right there like the being the creator that created all of this look at this universe look at these stars look at this the beauty of you know this solar system like wow he made me in his image like i want to uphold that i want to make him proud like that one that's mine that's you know he he's mine you know Bri, Bri, he, she's mine too you know like i want to uphold that like I, I feel like you know when you really think about it like wow i'm in. I'm made in the image of God, and you really absorb that, it just, I mean, it puts a little chip on your shoulder, you walk taller, you you just have this confidence about you, that's like, just this peace about you, you know what I mean, um, and, you know, it, it, it means a lot to me, you know, and it's like, I really don't think I would be able to do, in fact, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things that I do, or have done along this journey, if I didn't, um you know hold that so high and think like wow you know um you know god you know especially with my calling it's like you know god has blessed me or um blessed me with this ability and tasked me to do this i have to do this i have to go forward move forward there are times when i'm tired i'm like worn out where to the point because literally, I'm I'm on my feet literally all day walking neighborhood to neighborhood. Well, will tell you like, you know, yep. block the block, you know, um, you know, with my backpack on, <laughs> you know, like uh, a heavy um, backpack at that <laughs> heavy backpack, yeah, you know, couple couple things of water, you know, stay hydrated during the day, and you know, it's like, um, you know, being being an image being being an image bearer for God is. It, uh being an image bearer is just, um, I, f- I feel like it's a very high honor and we all should really, um, you know, really focus on what we're doing. And when you, when you think about it and you meditate on it, it really makes you walk a straighter path every day, you know, cause it's not, it's not, you know, um, you know, it's like if you're trying to um, win people over, win souls you know, you have to be be the be the change you want to see in the world. You know, you have to be that light in the dark. You have to show people, lead by example. You know, And so I think it's very important.
2: Yeah. Wow. I'd, I'm I'm excited to just hear different people's yeah understanding of being an image bearer. But like, I th- everyone has I think the the through point of like it's just it's an honor. Like it's a big yeah it's an honor to be an image bearer. Um, mm-hmm. I think my last question and. Wes, jump in if you have other things, but one of the reasons we wanted to have this podcast is to create um, create helpful conversations, but maybe in hard conversations, especially for our white brothers and sisters in the faith that uh, maybe haven't just heard too many voices of their, their brothers and sisters of color like, who are Christians. So like if you had a, anything you might want to say, uh, yeah, to any of our white brothers and sisters listening, uh, what would it be?
1: As far as what, I mean, like. I mean,
2: I think as far as, as far as like maybe different things that you um, have felt like unheard or have felt like there are ways that maybe like their eyes or their ears have been closed to the that like there's there's a bigger community out here that follow Jesus. And there's more maybe to faith than what they have in their like tradition. Perhaps or what they've grown up around, and so if you have anything to say about like, hey, here's something that's been happening that you didn't know about, or I wish you knew as my brother or sister in the faith. I
1: don't know. Um, I just say, I mean, because I've had experiences on the positive, and I've had experience on on negative with that. Like, so I'd probably say just in general, just you know, what would think, what would Jesus do? Like, you know, in the in these situations, these times, like when you see bigotry happening, like, you know, the unrest or things like that, don't be so quick to judge or rush to judgment. Like a lot of these people or so-called, like I'll use an example. There's uh, people under flack right now because of uh, comments made like, uh, you know, about Colin Kaepernick, like with him taking the knee or things like that. Oh, you're disrespecting the flag. No, it's not. It's not, you know, and you know, yeah, they throw him under the bus and, and go to church on Sundays, and it's like, no, it's not about disrespecting the flag. It's protesting racial inequality, you know, police brutality, and things like that. Like, you know, have an open mind, see why people are responding the way they're they're doing. You know, you watched mm-hmm. a man get killed on live TV, and I'm not talking accidental shooting. Oh man, he he charged me with a knife, or oh, well, it was dark out, and. You know, I thought thought he had a gun, and it was just a water bottle. Like, no, it wasn't one of those, right there. This is this a grown six foot six, two hundred fifty pound man crying for his mama. Where is the sympathy? Where is the, you know, like outrage of that? You know, like you should be mad more about that than you know what's what's going on the aftermath of it. Yes, it's it's wrong. What's happening? You know, or but. Look at the frustrations. Look at what's um, what led up to this. Okay, this is for you You're supposed to be. This is after 400 years. You know what the Emancipation Proclamation was, was signed in 1865, and this kind of stuff is still going on in this country. Like, you know, just just be more sympathetic. I mean, you can never. And this is you can't really know what it's like until you've been in those years. You can say. And I think what. And, you know, actually, and I will say this, you know, for our white brothers and sisters, I went out to the marches the last couple days in San Diego. 80% of them were white. When I was marching in New Orleans for the take them down, we wanted to take down these Confederate statues in Jackson Square. 80% of them are white. Like so many people are stepping up and realizing this now, like, wow, they're seeing You know, I think with the George Floyd, why it's creating so much is now you know what it's like, you've heard the stories or whatever, but you can put yourself in that position. How would I feel if someone had their knee on my neck for eight minutes and squeezed the life out of me? I think people are starting to really get it now. Like, ah, I got that, you know, because, you know, before, I mean, it's not how many white people can really say they've been pulled over and. You know for nothing and they've been told you fit the description if i had a dollar for every time i've been told that again even while i've been doing ministry oh you fit the description oh you fit the description you have id on you sir like what am i doing do you, you see this bible in my hand like you know but just because of my skin color you want to stop me and see what i'm doing things like that but um you know i just say you know for you know White Christians, you know, continue stepping up and speaking out against injustice, you know, stand arm in arm. You know, it's like not this nation isn't going to change until we have everybody stand on one accord, Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, everybody, because if they don't it to us, they're going to do it to you next. You know, things like that. Like, you know, if you stay silent on things like this, you know, it's only a matter of time before, you know, you know, you lose something or something, like and I don't know. It's just, it's just, um, you know. I, I really feel like, you know, people are kind of really waking up, and, and you know, um, to to what's happening um, out here. And I, I really feel like, you know, they they um, if everyone just really sticks together and bands together on this, it we can all make a change for the best.
0: Mm. That's very well, beautifully said, Jay. Thank you so much for coming onto our show. It was so lovely having you.
1: Uh thanks, Wesley. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, no, yeah, no problem, Brid. It's great talking to you. Did you have any? Uh, you know, I still have a few more minutes. You know, if you guys want to any more questions, you want to shoot out. You know, it's a you know it's a great great time tonight.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much I went through all of my questions. Made you talk so much, you had to go get water. So yeah, I think I'm I'm good. You know,
1: and I'll I'll be better prepared for the next one. I'll know to keep the water next to me instead of having to go and get it. You know, so
2: all good, all good.
1: All right. Well, cool. That works for me. I got a question.
0: I got a question. Yeah. So you were saying earlier on how like. You just get the desire to move. So do you feel that way for San Diego as much as you love it?
1: In a couple months. Like it's so beautiful out here right now. I kinda wanna stay a few more months, but uh yeah, I, I know it's gonna be that time, you know, eventually. Like, you know, it's um this is a beautiful city. I probably weather wise is definitely number one. Like, um, you know, it's 60 to 70 degrees, even in the wintertime, you know, over, over here. Um, The people are friendly. I just really, I love the vibe here. I know a lot of people say, Oh, it's slower than LA. I like it. You know, it is a slower pace, but I don't feel like I'm missing something or things like that. Um, You know, um, you know, I still, I am still a little partial to DC and new Orleans as far as like my favorite cities that I've ever lived in. Um, New York's up there too, um, when it is not the wintertime. time. You know, Chicago <laughs> and Chicago <laughs> and New York. I I have to put an, an asterisk in next to them. I do not like cold weather. I, I realize that. Like <laughs> when I first moved back to Chicago, uh back to the northern states. Uh, I was in the south for about three or four years between Mississippi, Texas, and New and uh, New Orleans. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, I think I'll be ready for winter. You know, cold weather again. No. I'm not about that life anymore. Like, <laughs> like you know, uh, and I just, I just love being out in the sunlight. There's, there. San Diego is definitely my top five. I, I'm gonna have to put up my top five places I live, live Wesley. And mm-hmm. the food is to die for. Have you been here, been out here before, Bray?
2: I've never been to San Diego. I've been to LA, um, and that's New Yorkers already joke LA is so slow moving. So I can't even imagine uh, a place. Yeah.
1: Slower than LA. There, yeah, there's no place like New York, and at least I've been in the U.S. I mean, just the pace there. Um, and, and to be honest, I, when I was younger, we used to take day trips there. I hated it. Like when we take because it's just so much going on, so much stimulation. But when you live there, you fall in love with the city. It's like wow. I mean, it's like you move, you adjust to the pace. And um, you know, I remember when I first moved away. You know, and I, I moved to Mississippi after New York. And I had trouble sleeping because it was like there's nothing but crickets out here. Like I can't sleep. You know, I'm used to the mm-hmm. people, the sirens, the glass breaking, <laughs> the shoot, the uh, shouting, and things like that. I, I, you know, I'm I'm used to that. You know, being able to, you know, go outside at two in the morning, stuff still open, get something to eat. You know, things yeah. like that. You know, the street yeah. vendors. You know, it's. Um, you know, but again, I think I was there in 2014 and it was like the roughest winter ever in New York in like a hundred years. I remember it was like blizzard after blizzard. Yeah, after that blizzard. was a crazy,
2: crazy time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was also, I mean, while we're talking about this, I think that was also the time um, George Zimmerman was like not indicted for the murder of Trayvon Martin. And that was also like a really intense year. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy times. Yeah, thank you so much, Jay. No problem, Wesley.
2: Thank you. All right, y'all.